So grateful all of you can be here. My name is Scotty Maynor. I serve as the president of Knox Theological Seminary and grateful for your time. If you, if that sounds unfamiliar to you and you think you're in the wrong room, I won't take it personally. If you decide you want to leave, um, now would be a good time. Uh, but you can uh, make that decision really at any point. So uh, this is a, a, a great opportunity, I think, for all of us to be able to, in many ways, have a conversation. I want to talk to you a bit about what Knox is doing, how we're conceiving of, of seminary in ways that we hope and pray are, are meeting the, the needs of the church today and going forward. Um, we have with us some Knox students who are here and um, a, a mentor of those students, Aaron. I'm going to get them to come up and uh, share a little bit about their story in just a little bit. But I want to thank you for being part of this. And at any time, this might be a little unusual, but feel free to interrupt me if you have a question uh, that's really pressing. Otherwise, we'll take some time at the end as well to, to answer any questions that you have. But I wanted to begin simply by, um, actually, let's begin with prayer. That seems like a natural thing to do. Father, we thank you for your one church uh, and our invitation into it through uh, the work of your spirit and the redemption that we have through Jesus. We pray, Father, that um, in the various callings that you've given us, that we would be faithful and submissive to you, uh, that we would love you more, that we would find ourselves um, in a disposition of prayer more frequently, um, that we would follow uh, where it is that you have us, individually and together as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, if you were at the, the message that was delivered by Julie Hawkins yesterday, who, by the way, is a Knox grad, um, you know, one of the things she brought forward is, in part, the context for what I want to share this morning, which is some of the challenges that are facing the church and seminaries together today. And really the biggest one that, that, that we see is one of uh, attrition. I, I think bottom line, there, there's an attrition issue. On the one hand, you have a diminishing number of people who are attending church. You're watching congregations slowly but steadily deflating in size. Uh, leading to, I couldn't believe the stat that she gave, and I'm not sure I can remember it precisely, but the number of churches that are failing in a given day or a given week that are closing its doors is just um, pretty disheartening and, and very sobering. But also a reflection of what we're seeing is a reduction in those that are attending church regularly. And in addition to that, you have about 38% Christianity today, a few months ago, if you saw the the article that they did um, on the state of the pastor today, 38% of pastors in America seriously considered leaving the pastor over the past year. And so we have a shrinking congregation. We have potentially what they call the great resignation of pastors on the, on the other hand. And so you would think that that would actually put a bit of a burden on the seminary to say, okay, we need to churn out more pastors. If we've got close to 40% of pastors walking away potentially from their positions, we need to replace them. And yet, one of the challenges that we see on the seminary side is this steady decline in enrollment for the past you know, 10, 15 years. And if you look at the numbers... I could go on about this for forever, but if you look at the numbers, the total number of uh, students enrolled in ATS accredited schools is actually about the same as it was over 10 years ago. And so you'd be like, well, how does that make sense? If you're saying that they're shrinking, why is the number the same? Well, part of what's happening is, is that ATS is uh, inviting and, and welcoming new schools into the community every year. And so it's what I call it, it means a leaky bucket. And they just keep topping it off with more schools that are accredited, bringing more students in to kind of keep the number flat. But the reality is within the seminary world as well, you're watching a continued decrease. And if you've seen the articles um, in Christianity Today, there is one in particular about Trinity International University and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And this is not to in any way bring them forward as a negative example uh, at all, but just to showcase that is a big example of a problem generally across the seminary landscape. And because it's a big notable school, um, it's, it's, it's going to receive a bit more attention. But it shows that their enrollment is down significantly, which puts financial pressure on the school, which then has to get passed off somewhere else, either through deferred maintenance on buildings or increasing uh, tuition 
uh, reducing the number of scholarships they're able to do, et cetera. So we have what seems to be this kind of big, vicious cycle uh, and, and, and a looming crisis that is facing both churches and seminaries. And so I think if I could categorize it quickly, there are three big challenges that I think need to be addressed um, in order to fix the relationship between the seminary and the church and begin to uh, hopefully see church health increase, but then also the production of new Christian leaders filling some of those vacancies that we can anticipate in the near future. And those areas are accessibility, affordability, and the integration of education with ministry. Okay, so accessibility, how accessible is a seminary? Affordability, how affordable is a seminary? And then to what degree is a seminary meaningfully helping students integrate what they're learning within their ministry practice? And so I'm going to use as kind of a backdrop the, the, the traditional seminary model, um, and, and I'm going to describe it briefly, understanding that there's always nuances, and you may be feeling like, well, I went to this school, and that's not entirely true for me, and I would, I'm sure I would grant whatever caveats you have in your mind. But generally speaking, if you think about the traditional residential seminary model, and someone who maybe feels a call to seminary in, let's say, this part of Michigan, and they say, I'm a, you know, I'm a reformed, uh, theologically reformed, called person that wants to go to seminary. What are their options? Is there a, is there a reformed seminary in Detroit? To my knowledge, the, the answer is no. Um, and so that person would then have to make a decision. Okay, if I'm going to pursue seminary education, that means I've got to do the following. And this goes under the accessibility thing. There's, there's, there's very little accessible um, you know, seminary education here if you're going to do the traditional model. And so what do they have to do? They have to um, make the huge decision to leave their church, pull their kids out of their school, potentially quit their jobs, and move to somewhere else in order to be able to get the education with the very little likelihood that they'll actually come back to the place where they felt the call to ministry in the first place. And so there's an accessibility issue, but then there's also a cost issue. Because in order to do that, the church is losing their budding intern, right? I mean, how many pastors in here have someone in your church where it's like, I would love to get this person trained, but as soon as I send him or her off, the odds of them coming back are so small, and like they are such a big part of this community, I don't want to lose them. But I also want to see them trained theologically. And so the church has to give something up when they lose their, their student. The student has to give up the context in which they felt the call to ministry in the first place. Kids get pulled out of schools. You know, your family has to sell their house, etc. You can imagine the cost to do this. And so for a lot of people, when they start weighing it all out, they're like, my gosh, is it even worth it? And then the average, the average seminary debt for someone graduating from a seminary today is $33,000. That's on top of whatever you have for undergrad. And so by the end, you've now left your home, you've left the church where you felt the sense of call, you've gone into debt, you spent three years studying rather than working as well. Also, you can get a job potentially at the very end as a pastor somewhere where you're making less money than when you started this whole process. And you've got the pressures of ministry, you have the student debt, you've got all the normal you know, life and financial pressures. And we wonder why pastors are facing a tremendous amount of burnout. Now, it's more complicated than that, but in, in a sense, those are two big issues that are facing the church. If we look at the traditional way of thinking about how a seminary can serve the church, how to reinfuse the church with new leaders that are trained well, this is the cost. And so Knox, for our part, and we're not the only seminary, but Knox, for our part, began to think, what in the world are we doing to help address this? How can we think about this in new ways? And so you have um, accessibility, affordability, and then the integration of seminary education within the ministry context. And again, for that traditional residential model, the, the integration happens typically within the community around the seminary. There's nothing wrong with that. But South Florida, for instance, is a very bizarre place to live. And so when you want to say, hey, how do I integrate what I'm learning in church history with this like crazy backwards world of South Florida around me, like you'll learn how to do that. But then the odds are, if you end up back up in here in Detroit, whatever you learned about relating 
you know, church history to South Florida. I have been here for like 24 hours, but I can guarantee you this is very, very, very different from South Florida. And so how effective is it in the time during seminary where you are given the opportunity to help students integrate their education within their context, if that context is going to shift as soon as they're done with their studies? So this is, it's, it's just a series of problems, again, aimed at addressing how are we going to keep people in the churches? How are we going to keep church leaders cultivating up to replace pastors that are considering leaving? So this is where Knox wants to say, I, I think that the relationship between the seminary and the church is in many ways backwards. Because the purpose of a seminary, my purpose as the president of the seminary, is to help our organization serve the church. And so if I were to look at it, Knox, for the first 20 years of our existence had a residential model. But when I look back at what we were doing, I have to ask myself, how were we making sacrifices for the church? Because it seems to me that the church is the one that's making a big sacrifice and losing their potential leader, their budding Christian leader. The student is making a big financial sacrifice for moving there. And the seminary isn't asked to do a lot. We're just not. That's just the reality. And so how can we think through the ways that seminary can serve the church uh, more meaningfully? And that's where Knox has decided, you know, let's just flip the whole model. Let's think about this a little bit differently. Let's, instead of asking a student, hey, if you want to go to seminary, and maybe your church says, we recognize the leadership potential, we're going to send them off to seminary. Um, you don't have to go through the whole cost sequence that we've just described. In fact, I think it's actually a better education, and I don't just think, there's actually evidence to support this, but there is in many ways, it is a better education to say, you know what, what would it look like if the seminary said, why don't you just stay put? Why don't you stay in the place where God's already called you? Why don't you work with the pastor or ministry mentor within your context as we're teaching you theology, biblical studies, church history, Greek and Hebrew. I was hanging out with some of the Knox students last night. I did, the kind words they had about Hebrew and how much they love the biblical languages was just amazing. Love these guys. And um, I really do. But think about it. As a pastor, if you've got someone in your community that you have the opportunity to cultivate because you understand what ministry looks like in your community. And you understand the challenges. You understand the opportunities. And you understand that if you have someone that you can help mentor, this is an apprentice model, mentor into a position of leadership within your church, not only does that help you, but now you've got someone else in your community that is reaching out to people that may not be coming to church anymore. You've doubled your impact. You get two or three students, you've tripled your impact. And maybe you, this is even for the rest of the congregation, maybe there's, there's lay leaders that are interested in learning more about their faith. You know, think about the example of a 400-person church with four people up on the stage the seminary Traditionally, we've got to educate those four people. And at Knox, we would say, hey, well, what would it look like if we actually broadened the scope and, and invited others to learn with us who are just sitting in the pews? If I had 1% of the people in a 400-person congregation agree to just take some classes with us, I've doubled my impact in that community. Not I, but the seminary has doubled their impact, potentially. And so this is what we're seeing. We see... In Ephesians 4, 11 and following, that God has called the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, and others to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Now, you all are the pastors. We are teachers. How about we come together in a meaningful way, flip the seminary-church relationship, force Knox into a position of having to give up some of the control that seminaries have claimed for themselves, give it back into the people who actually are going to be the best at educating students for what ministry looks like in this particular context. We'll do what we do really well. We save some control back to the church. And we begin to actually come together in a meaningful way to where we're now, as a seminary, in real time getting feedback from students and pastors saying, this is working really well. We love it when you guys do this. Or that class was awful. Like, what were you thinking? That was so not useful. And that puts us in a, you know, we've, we've got to approach. That's not, those aren't fun conversations. 
but they're helpful for us because it's like we've got to rethink this if we're teaching something that we now know is not as effective as it could be then let's have a conversation with our church partners in a way that is actually going to um, make our education more effective and so in the end and i'll stop talking you're going to bring aaron up but in the end um the model is we, we use the term in with and for the church okay so you've got a bookmark there you can take that um do whatever you want with it hopefully use it to read something but in with and for the church that describes what we're after we want to be educating people not in a <laughs> seminary context there's nothing particularly special about being in a room with me when I'm teaching church history, I assure you. And so we don't, we don't think that the center of education is going to be best done here at Knox in South Florida, but in the church. So that's in the church. We want to serve with the church. That means that we've got to take ourselves a little bit less seriously and actually bring in church leaders like yourselves to say, what do you need? How can we help you in your ministry efforts by co-laboring co and bringing someone up with you who can hold up your arms when you're tired, who can join in the ministry to the community around you that may be shrinking in terms of the percentage of the pews that it's filling in your church, and then for the church. This isn't for Knox. What are we doing? You know, I mean, if, if if our whole goal isn't to serve the church meaningfully, then you know, shame on us as, as an institution. So we are constantly asking the question, are we serving the church meaningfully? And given the current needs of the church and the challenges facing the church, we've seen that this model is, is fairly effective. And so um, I want to pause here for just a second, make sure that I've said everything, because I haven't looked at my notes once. So um, the... Oh, and, and then one other thing. So if we think about the, the, the issues of um, it being accessible, affordable, and integrative, and you contrast the Knox model with the traditional model, the accessible part is pretty straightforward, right? We want to equip Christian leaders in their context in collaboration with their ministry leaders so that they don't have to go somewhere else. And we want it to be affordable. Well, how do we do that? Well, one of the primary ways that Knox helps Avoid the $33,000 in student debt that gets accrued by your typical seminary graduate is through what we call a church partnership program. So Knox will match every dollar that a church gives on behalf of the student up to a third. And so the vast majority of our students at Knox actually participate in this program so that for every three credit hour class, the student's only paying for one. The church is paying for one, and then Knox is paying for it brings, uh, it brings us financially into a relationship that is a reflection of the broader attempt that we have of saying, look, we, we want to have skin in the game. We want to see this student grow into his or her fullest potential. And so most of Knox graduates, first of all, Knox doesn't take federal student loans. Um, and so we don't have the, the student debt crisis. But even for our students who do graduate, the vast majority graduate with little to no debt. If any, it's typically less than $5,000. And so we're sending off graduates who are not burdened already financially as they go on to be burdened with the ministry work that they're about to, or they're going to continue to participate in. And then obviously, the integration issue is one of the things I love most about Knox is this is how we solve that problem is because we keep our students there and we decentralize the campus of Knox to not be on, in Fort Lauderdale, but to be on your campus. There's a great book by a guy named Huso Gonzalez. Maybe you remember him from your church history class. If that name sounds familiar, you may have read his textbook for your church history class. And um, wonderful scholar, but he wrote a book called History, A History of Theological Education. And um, one of the things that he, he, he brings forward four premises at the beginning of this book. And he says... At, at the very beginning, he says, here, here are four things to know. First, some form of theological education has always been part of the history of the church. The church has always valued some degree of education. Remember, Scripture calls us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And so part of pursuing a theological education within the church 
whether it's a seminary education or not, but just growing intellectually in your faith is an act of obedience to what God has commanded us to do. And a second thing that he brings forward is, today we've seen that theological education is, is in crisis. I've just described all that. But then he goes on to say, but there is a third thing that we see that helps us feel a little bit better about that, and that is that while seminaries may be in, in a bit of a crisis in some sense, theological education on more of a lay level is not. And if you especially look around the world and take a global perspective of the church, there are Christians who are growing in their faith meaningfully across the world in ways that are, are not hallmarks of the American evangelical church today. And so then the final point that he says is history can serve as a guide. And if you actually look at the point of, um, or if you look at this question throughout church history, you'll see that the primary vehicle that has been used for educating pastors is doing so within the context of the church. And so for the majority of the history of the church, it wasn't done in a university system. It wasn't done in a seminary system. It was actually an apprentice-type model. So when I stand here and I say, hey, Knox has this great idea, I, I didn't come up with it. Like, I'm not, you know, some sort of genius. I just happen to be a church historian. I read something somewhere, and I was like, that's a good idea. Maybe we should move back towards that, because it has worked, and we have seen it work for a huge portion of the church's history. So I'll close with this. At the beginning of her talk yesterday, Julie said that there's, there's challenges, but there's also room for optimism. And we've, the church has been here before. And she went through that, that part of Acts and talked about a number of different things, including just the, the, the need for prayer. But I also want to say that as we think about how do we think through the pastoral shifts, how do we think through the decline in enrollment, the decline in, in, in congregation size, the church has been in a tough spot before with regard to training its people. And yet we have seen that a really solid vehicle for sustaining the church, for continuing to keep the church accountable theologically, for watching it grow, for watching its people have a better understanding of their faith, is through education that is not done outside the church somewhere else, but within the church. And so that's, that's Knox's goal. We want to serve you. We want to serve you as the, as the current leaders who are experiencing a tremendous amount of stress, who may be considering walking away from it all and just throwing your hands up being like, what do we do? This isn't some sort of panacea. We're not going to make it all better. But this is a way for a seminary to come alongside you and say, we can help. And we want to serve in meaningful ways. So I thought, rather than me just saying nice words about Knox, um, that I would actually get someone who's uh, living this out. And so we have Aaron Carr, who is uh, a, a local pastor, who is in the role of actually mentoring a handful of Knox students, some of which are, are in the room here with us. And so um, I'm going to invite you up to just share a little bit about your experience and maybe invite some, some questions. I'm going to pass over the microphone so that um, it captures you as well. Now we're connected. There we go. There we go. All right. So um, my name is Aaron Carr. I'm just going to tell a little bit of the story of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, where I serve. Uh, it was planted uh, 119 years ago. I obviously didn't plant it, right? Um, but I came there as a unordained, freshly graduated uh, with my MDiv from RTS Charlotte and came back home to Michigan to serve and uh, was on staff with the eventual hope of planting a church. It just so happened that uh, the church that called me said, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna see you get ordained and we'll help plant you, but we want you to serve here and help revitalize our church as a young guy on staff. It was, it was a win-win for both situations. Eventually, uh, the senior pastor in 2010 um, contracted esophageal throat cancer. And when he did, he eventually resigned, which left uh, me as the interim. And eventually the church talked about me coming on as the senior pastor. Um, and we had some good discussions at that point because my heart was still towards church planting. And so we as a church became a church sending church, a church planting church. 
And with that mentality, we began to shift a lot of our mission budget. This becomes part of the story of how we got invested in raising up leaders at First Press. Um, through that process, we started out by recruiting <coughs> church planters. We were looking for individuals that were already trained, already ready to go. And we found a few and we supported them. And we started what we uh, thought was a great idea. We'll start a residency. We'll just kind of get them preparing to plant wherever it is that God calls them. But it was in the time that we started that residency program that we realized that there were a lot other individuals we could be training and lifting up. And I got the bright idea. It would be great to connect with a seminary. And I went back to my alma mater, RTS, and I reached out to them about possibly seeing a campus here in Detroit. And after they told me the sticker shock, which is about a million dollars I would have to raise so they could have a brick and mortar building here and, and do all the things that are necessary to get going. And I might be a little bit off the dollars, but it was pretty close to that number. Uh, I, I thought, man, this is impossible. We're just going to have to continue to raise people up and probably send them away. It was just at that time that our uh, music director, uh, wanted to go to seminary, he found a seminary called Knox Seminary that he could do his MDiv 100% online. And it started a relationship at that point as we started talking to Knox and really digging in what would this look like? And is this going to be acceptable by the EPC? And do they meet all the standards and requirements? And that process began to grow. And it also began to shift a little bit of our direction because we're recruiting, we're training, and we're sending out these workers for ministry. And as we began to look through that, um, Scotty and I began to talk. Um, and we began to talk about what it could look like to be really be partnering together. I got excited because it looked like for the first time there was a seminary that was as hungry as I was to begin to see how could we partner together church and seminary. And so what we began to work through is creating a um, kind of a modular situation where these guys are doing their seminary online. But if any of you take anybody take classes online? You take classes online, you feel isolated. You feel like you're learning. There's nowhere to really process anything. So one of the things we begin to do is talk about cohorts. And we created a, a Monday cohort where all the seminarians get together. Currently, at, we have enrolled at First Presbyterian 12 individuals that are in seminary. So on Monday night when they get together, even though they're all taking different classes, we have opportunity to talk about what they're learning. And they're rubbing elbows with one another. And in that modular uh, cohort on Monday night, my job is to share pastoral insights, just to talk about the practicalities of what ministry looks like. Uh, a lot of these individuals are plugged into our church or other churches around us, and they're coming back and getting hands-on, so they're asking real practical questions about how to apply certain aspects of what they're learning to ministry. Another aspect we began to work through is we realized that in the curriculum for Knox, they have a responsibility to actually preach and take uh, homiletics and work through all the normal curriculum. So I did a radical thing as a young guy at an old church. I said, we're going to bring back Sunday night service. And in our Sunday night service, all of our residents, all of our seminarians, they preach. And on Monday night, one of the things we do is we have them share their outline before the week before they preach. They have the rest of the week to continue to work through that. And then the guy or a person who preaches now is going to be kind of evaluated on that mon next Monday. They love that. So that process actually was great, except here was the cool part. I was able to actually pick up the phone and talk to their homiletics professor. I was actually able to talk about the things he's pushing and things that I wanted to see. And there's a partnership between what he's got going on, what I got going on, and making it better for the students. Where else can you do that and not have to lose your students? And that's the kind of energy that I saw at Knox. And that's what really sold me on why this was such a great relationship. And so um, I do believe that there are a lot of opportunities and creativity that can still be kind of unearthed as we begin to really explore the the depths of this partnership. But as I look around the room, there's a lot of churches represented here. And the truth is, I was one of those guys who walked away with seminary with $30,000 in debt. I just paid it off last year. I'm 48 years old. Praise God, I don't have any more debt. But it took me a long time to pay it off. 
And I can honestly say all of my students right now, all 12 of them are gonna walk away debt free. That's absolutely amazing, right? Puts them in a place that they can serve smaller congregations. Puts them in a place where they actually aren't bringing the extra weight of, of, of the debt and the, and, the, and the fear of how am I gonna provide for my family. But they're also getting a theological education that sets them ahead because I believe they're not just getting the classroom, they're not uprooting and leaving, they're actually working in the context, rolling up their sleeves, doing the work of ministry, and learning from you know great individuals who have way more knowledge on Greek and Hebrew than I do, and so that's a that's a that's a real blessing. So, is there anything else you want me to share on that, Matt? You want me to ask some questions? Yeah. Could you say something about the three young men we just brought under care? Yeah. So Steve's Steve's on me about that. So he's he's on MCOM. So our MCOM, we just we had. Uh, just brought in three individuals. We could have brought four, but one of them wasn't quite ready. Um, we had three individuals just come forward to our uh, ministry committee to be brought under care. And our presbytery was just so excited to see three individuals all at one time from one church who have been brought under care who are now being prepared for ordination. That's, that's healthy and helpful to the EPC, right? And you can imagine if that spread. And so we've really been trying to push it from our presbytery here in the Midwest about what could it look like in all the other churches if we were doing the same thing. You know, Aaron, there's a lot of conversation, especially as we've been talking to other people in this room and outside of this room who have been asking questions about leadership pipelines, and I think that's kind of what we're getting to. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you may not have it diagrammed out, but can you just kind of give us a, like a high-level view of kind of what that currently looks like? And yeah. How all these pieces kind of fit together from new person into under care to ordination yeah so um it's it's a pretty it's a pretty lengthy pipeline because it started with we wanted to multiply churches well to multiply churches i needed to recruit and i realized there was a gap which was the training and um in that because as we're presbyterians we also have a high regard for education we have to meet that and so how can we meet that and so that process looks simply like this. I'm usually out recruiting individuals and now I'm at a place where I can actually say to them, I can give you a residency at the church, I can give you a seminary education, and I can promise you that there is a church planting network within the presbytery that will actually support you on the way out if you pass assessment. So from their perspective, this makes it very appealing. I'm from the Midwest, some of you guys are sunshine states we don't get a lot of sunshine so it's hard to keep individuals in in the midwest it's you know i use the phrase it's not a sexy place to live i think it is but a lot of people are not as excited about the midwest as i am and i recognize that that when a lot of our students if they went away to southern florida they're probably never coming back and if i can keep them here and i can tell them i can help them all the way through that pipeline it gets very exciting um, we offer two cohorts. We have a Wednesday cohort, which is specifically aimed at our church planners. We do that on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. That's church planners who are already out in the field doing the work, along with the residents who are just starting out. My job is just to provide a meal and kind of some pastoral direction, but I let the elbows rub there. And then the same thing we have on Monday night, which is our seminarians who are specifically doing the work of ministry while they're learning seminary. And both of those cohorts are part of our developmental process to, to train the individuals who are being raised up for pastors and leaders. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the cohort thing, that's part of the program that's built in and then required for students to be a part of that? Is it actually acquired now? It's not. It's going to be. No. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, th this is just like one example. So I use Aaron as a great example of answering the question of what, what would it look like? Let's say this sounds like a good idea. What would it look like if for, you know, for you to be mentoring um, someone or, or, or a group of people in, in, in your community? And so this is just an example, but there's nothing, there's, there's no requirements and there's no contract where you say, Hey, this is what this is going to have to look like. You know, for, for, for you, it may be um, you know, something completely different. Maybe you don't have students that are going to go on and become maybe pastors, but let's say you've got, a group of people in your in your congregation that are saying we're a bunch of um, uh, you know Sunday school teachers. We just want to be be better at teaching Sunday school, and so then you know we would be have a conversation to um, say, well, how can Knox help facilitate that? Like maybe there's some some 
some courses that we can give where students can have access to content. They're not required to, to take it for credit if they're not pursuing a degree or a certificate, but there's an open-handedness to what Knox is wanting to say, hey, we, 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 we care not just about the four on the stage, but the 400 in the pews, to go back to my example. And so maybe instead of a cohort of church planners, you've got a, a group of educators within your community and you want to do something like that. It's just, you know, you, you know best the needs of your community and then how best to be able to implement change with you as the mentor, you know, catching it on, on, on the on the ground, as it were. I mean, if Knox is providing education, you're able to receive it and say, let's think through how this content lines up with our missional context and priorities and challenges within the community around us. And, and let's, as a pastor, let's, you know, you can harness that into action. Um, my question was, is there a way to, um, for the seminary, I, I'm picturing this all playing out, four people pursuing degrees to go into ministry, how does the seminary oversee to make sure the experience on the ground in that context is meeting the, the standards of the seminary? I mean, they're not on campus. Yeah, that's a great question. So, like, I mean, of course there's going to be educational standards. If it's not happening on campus, how do we make sure that it's, it's, yeah. it's happening at all and assessing that? That's a great question. So we developed what, what we are calling, a, a, it, it's a mouthful, it's ministry mentor liaison is a fancy word from for, for, for a position we have at Knox, which is effectively a guy whose job it is. He's both a Ph.D. and a pastor down in Texas, works for Knox. And, and a big part of his job is to remain in constant communication, both with the student and with the pastor, so that we can get feedback from both to say, how is the student doing? Are there areas where, where Knox may need to pay more attention to? You know, are there conversations that need to be had? Where is the student excelling? And maybe we can encourage them further and beyond as pastors or teachers or you know, uh, writers. And so we do have metrics in place that are pretty rigorous, even against regular old residential standards with regard to making sure that, that the output is as good as it can be. Now, it what will blow that up immediately is a pastor that doesn't care, you know? And so um, then then we're in a bit of a pickle, but we, we will work with the student to find someone who will care and, you know, continue to cultivate them. But it's in, we, we assume, and perhaps too much, that it's in the pastor's interest personally and ecclesially to invest themselves in this. And I mean, Aaron takes time out of his days to do this and he's not compensated. Sorry guys. Like there, there's no money in this for you. Um, I'm asking you to give more of yourself, but in ways that are, um, you know, fruitful potentially. And, and, and the kind of bond, I mean, we hung out with them last night over some barbecue and just the bond that you see between, a, a, a pastor who is investing himself in these guys who are going to serve not in his church, but in other churches in the area is, um, is just incredible. And then the trust and the love that they have for one another. I mean, it's, it really is remarkable, but they can also listen to them talk about the challenges that they're facing here in this community in ways that are unique in particular to the Detroit area that would not be a conversation while they're taking classes if they were in South Florida with me in Fort Lauderdale at Knox. Just make sure there's some time for more questions. I, um, so I, I love, 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 love everything about this. Um, I've seen a lot of different programs. I've taught at a Grace College Seminary in Wyoming Lake. I'm in a TED's DMIN program. I went to two different seminaries to get my MDiv, long story. I've seen a lot. I've seen three different ways to do things, online, um, kind of cohort within a uh, satellite campus and residential. From my experience in five different schools, undergrad all the way to doctorate level, residential, the level of education far exceeds anything online. Uh, even as of, and I know technology is obviously changing daily, but as of four years ago, was the last time I took an online course, they're just not the same from everything I've seen. Quality of what you're learning, curriculum, how deep you can go. The other piece you've already talked about, which is the mentoring aspect, I'm actually really encouraged to hear what you're doing there, because that's another deficiency usually with online programs. How have you bridged that gap with the educational differences between a residential program and an online program? That's a, that's a really, really great question. 
and one I'm, I'm very happy to answer because prior to becoming the, the president of the seminary, I was the mm -hmm. academic dean of the seminary for a number of years. And one of the commitments that we had as we were building out the online program was we recognized pretty quickly we had an online Knox and we had a residential Knox. And uh, so this is back in 2012. And I, I, I realized at the time, like, that's not good because I want... I had this scenario in my head where I wanted a, a person that took online classes from Knox and a person that took residential classes from Knox to somehow bump into one another at an airport and start being like, oh, you went to Knox. I went to Knox. This is great. What do you think about this one class? And, you know, systematic theology. And I realized that if they had that conversation, they wouldn't be talking about the same class. They wouldn't be talking about the same experience. And so we made a commitment very early on to say, we call it one Knox, um, but we wanted to create as much as possible a singular educational experience. <coughs> and so if you take my church history class online, like Mark, I don't know, is Mark in here? Yeah, Mark's over there. He just finished it. Um, I just graded his paper a couple hours ago. And so we had a, a nice long chat about Mark. He crushed it. He crushed it. He did great. And it was a great conversation. I think you should share it with everybody. Yeah, so, so here where he, here's where he messed up, okay? okay we won't do that. But, if, but, but in taking that class, so he is taking a residential, or he is taking a, a course that is filmed as a residential live church history class with me as the professor in the videos and me as the guy online facilitating the class, even though it's asynchronous, I'm still the professor online as well. If you take um, my residential church history class, you have the same quizzes, you have the same tests, you have the same papers, and that's true for all of our courses. And so in that scenario where the two people are bumping into one another in an airport, they're, they're getting the exact same education, and which allows us to do some interesting assessments with regard to how are people doing in terms of understanding the content as a distance student versus those that are understanding the content as a residential student. And how are they doing in terms of ordination exams? And what we found, and this isn't just at Knox, there are other studies that prove this, is, and more generally, is that distance students outperform, seminary distance students outperform their residential counterparts uh, almost across the board. And there's a number of theories, well, why is that? It's like, well, for some, they're saying, well, they, they have more skin in the game. They have to make time in their day to, to get the seminary education done, it's a bigger sacrifice because they're, they're not just sort of quitting everything and going to school full time and, and, and marinating in these thoughts all day. They've got crying kids. They've got a job. They've got ministry work that they have to do. There's a whole bunch of pressures on them. And so when they get to seminary, if they're going to do it, they're really, really invested because they're, they're making time they don't have to, to do this. That's my thought. But in terms of the quality of the education, there's, Knox has a remarkable consistency in terms of like if you take a systematics class online you will have this same professor doing it online as you would have if you were sitting in the class the, the the same assignments and we even have it now to where if we're teaching live classes we've got students who may want to just jump in and participate through through a live stream as well so you can sit here you know in in the frozen north in, in january and you know dream watch me and my tan down in fort lauderdale i'll rub it in your face uh, but um and, and and we have some students who's, who've experienced that we were going to say yeah, i wanted to add um i am a student <coughs> i think that the um the way that we teach online is really but I, I often say that I appreciate distance learning because seminary is hard. And sometimes I have to pause that lecture and see what you just said one more time. And I can do that. And as I then go out and teach what I've learned, I have access to the class to make sure I'm getting it Because it's in my account. I can go back or I can bug Lori to give it to me. And I do that. I look and listen to my professors again. How did he articulate this? Or she? Um, and so I, I have found that to be actually an advantage. Um, and, and they're exceptional. It is not easy. It is not. Easy. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Matt, who, I don't know. I, I was just going to say one thing, too, just to, to sneak on this real quick. But like, there's, this, there's a unique, the most unique thing that you're finding at Knox is this seamless ability now to move 
between a residential hybrid Zoom approach or strictly online within the terms as the terms allow, it, it's by far like nobody else is doing this. Nobody else. And, and we're, we're, we're figuring it out and we're making it work and it's not for our benefit, it's for yours. And uh, because we see that there's a tidal wave coming and you need the help and we're here. This is what we're about this week. I, I see some people having to leave, and if that's you, feel free. But I, I do want to. Question for Aaron for both inside the church, your church, and outside of the church. What are the most effective ways that you found to persuade, recruit people into the, the program? Because I think, like, I would love to have something like this. Just thinking yeah. about how do I begin to fill a pipeline? Yeah, there was, there was two things we did. We made a commitment to, we have a virtual classroom. So you're, you don't have to learn by yourself at home. You can learn in the group with the group of guys uh, taking class, a particular class all together. Yep. And it looks just like a classroom. And so you can take a live class like Brian Evans did. He took Greek that way. Uh, you could take... Um, uh, some guys took history or whatever they do, and they're, maybe it's the recorded ones, but they're also together. And so there's that continuity. So you don't have to move, and you're not alone. I think that's a huge recruiting tool. Um, the second one that's, that's major is the fact that the church is going to partner with you through this. Our church has made an investment, um, not just in creating space, but actually financial dollars. And so the, the uh, third, third, third program is a huge part of that. I think when students realize you're willing to invest in them, it also allows me to put, you know, put a little pressure on them. Like, hey, the church is invested in this. You know, your your time is is important. So I think that that's another major aspect. BBC is aspiring to be more racially diverse. If we want to recruit them. That's a great question. So we know within reformed circles, diversity is not a hallmark of conservative reform denominations. So it, it, it becomes difficult with regard to how to do that well. Um, one of the ways that we are looking at that is talking to the current minority students about their experience and being intentional about using them as a, a vehicle and a mouthpiece into the community around them for other people that may consider coming to Knox. Because one of the things we've learned about uh, recruitment at Knox is that a large part of it is word of mouth. And so there's already a million barriers people put up between themselves and going to seminary. I'm not smart enough. I've been out of school for 20 years. I hate writing papers, it costs too much, whatever. But then you start saying, I'm not a white guy. You know, that that that, that feels for a lot of people, this is just what I'm, you know, and I've, I've been told this, or like, I didn't feel like I belonged because I wasn't a white 20 something year old guy. And I feel like that's just what seminaries are, are, meant, are meant for. And, you know, we can do everything we can to try and assure people that that's not the case, but the best way of communicating our intention towards uh, diversity towards you know welcoming men, women of whatever color and whatever part of the world that you may happen to live in is through the voices of the students that we already have to say, yes, this was a great experience. And so we're watching that happen more and more. I mean, I just I had kind of a third generation um, minority student who just graduated with her doctor of ministry. And she had learned about the doctor of ministry from one of her friends in a community that she lived in, who himself, as a minority, learned it from another person um, who was also a minority. And so it's, it's one of those uh, things where just, just like everything else, that's, that's the idea behind it. Can I, I, I think as an EPC pastor, I would say this is why this is so important for us to all be involved. Um, I have a friend who's African-American, and he went away to seminary, sat through the whole homiletics course, but the context he was coming back home to preach in, he wasn't trained in seminary to preach in that context. And yet if our churches that are in those contexts already are partnering with a school like Knox and you're working with Dr. Trotter on the homiletics, guess what? 
the individuals are preaching in the very context and, and, and that they're going to be serving in. So I think us being involved also, it's not just on them. And I know you're not saying, suggesting that, but that's where the partnership is so rich because contextualization is going to happen through that. Yeah, so it's Knox is one of those interesting places because, um, you know, if you look at our website, we've got five full time faculty who are all white men, right? And so I remember at the last, and, and I was the guy who actually led four of the, 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 the searches for four of those positions. And so I remember we had a, a, a visit from our accrediting body, and they said, Why don't you have more diversity on your faculty? And I know you asked about the board, I'm going to get there. They said, Why don't you have more diversity in your faculty? And I said, I ran, I ran five faculty searches in six years. We had anywhere from 100 to 150 applications per position that we had open. So call it, you know, 600, 750 applications, of which I can count on one hand the number of female applicants that I got, and on two hands the number of minority applicants that we got. And... Within that, I mean, we would have been perfectly happy to have hired if there was a fit, but the, 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 the degree programs and the theological backgrounds that they were coming from just didn't fit. And so it's not because, you know, you, but it's easy to look at a white faculty at Knox and be like, they don't care about diversity. It was like, that was, it, was, it was an interesting time because actually in a second search that we did, we had a really good female candidate that was just applying for a, the wrong position. So I actually reached out to her at a later time. We did a different search being like, we're doing a faculty position search in this area and you'd be perfect for it. Would you have any interest? And she had already been um, picked up somewhere else. But yeah, that is an intentional part of it. So Knox is, you know, for the first time, we're not monochromatic and on our board level. And that's a small victory and one that needs to grow. But it, and, and it's no longer predominantly or you know, exclusively male. Um, and so there's an intentionality to understanding that as the people of God, we want the diversity of our students to be reflected in the diversity on our board as well. And so probably next would be actually bringing on board members that don't necessarily live in Fort Lauderdale, but may live up in Michigan. Watch out, Aaron. I might come ask you for some help. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if, if we want our board to in some ways reflect and, and understand our student body, then that's what it's going to require. We do have solid percentages of diversity within our student body, and we need to do a better job of growing that, but it is growing in the right direction. So I run a, a, a young pastor of the church, but run a small Christian school, classical school, so I think we have classical studies. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? I can send my teachers to you to get trained up in classes. Studies. That's correct. I think okay. it'd be a great conversation to have with my colleague who runs that. But yes. Okay. Yeah, that would be so for those who may be into Christian education. We do have one program that no other seminary has called Master of Arts in Christian and Classical Studies, and where you read through the great works of Western literature, going all the way back to, you know, Plato and Aristotle going forward, um, Augustine, Dante, Milton, Thucydides, Tocqueville you know, all, all these guys. And the question is, how do we think through big questions of like, what is truth? What is justice? Both from a, like a philosophical point of view, but then a Christian point of view as well. And so um, it would be, uh, people in the program love it, especially those that are in, in a professional context like you just described. Well, my, my hardest part is right now my high school has to be online. I have to rely on logouts out of Moscow because they're the only one with a really fully robust online high school. Uh, and so I, I, I go up there, and I can't train teachers locally. So I need someone to do it with, and if I could do it in a church partnership program, that'd be... The, your, your bearded brother behind you is uh, our admissions guy, so okay. if, if you guys can get in touch and pass information, then that would work. Um, I know we're short on time, uh, but what you heard today is one version that is working and thriving that we are working with. Um, our brother here, Josh Hansen, has been kind of exploring some other things with us as well. And um, there are other people and other pastors in other parts of the country where these types of unique partnerships are forming. 
Um, Scott, do you have time to allow Josh to, to share a word or two, or do you do you have a few more things that you want to say before we let everybody release? Or I'm putting him on the spot. I was say, does Josh he want to share a word? I went to I told him I might be coming. So here's all I'll, here's all I'll say. Um, we're trying to figure out: is it future pastors? Is it our life group leaders, small group leaders who are going to have an interest? And so we've just sort of scattered seed in all different kinds of ways. And I would just praise Knox on their generosity. And we've been able to offer some of their classes as our uh, their Sunday school classes that happen throughout the week, just to give people a taste of, you could do a seminary class. It's not as intimidating as you think. And and they've gotten on, online with, with these people that are just part of our church and, and, and discuss different things. And Scotty and Tim, um, other staff members as well have done podcast episodes with me talking through theological things. So just their generosity and, and helping us figure out who is going to be uh, interested in doing this. Because I know that there's an interest. It's just trying to figure out, is it what Aaron's doing or is it something different? And on that front end, if you don't have the whole plan, just know that they'll work with you to help figure out who is at your church that's interested. And um, just, again, super generous in helping us figure that out. Thanks, Josh. I, I'll, I'll say one more thing, and then maybe we can close it out. And, and it's to, to touch on your point there. There's no one way that this has to work itself out. So we've got, you know, Josh over in Finley, Ohio, uh, with a church and community there with priorities and opportunities within his church that looks different from Aaron's. And so our relationship with Aaron and the way that that works itself out is going to be different from the way that it is for for Josh and, and how it works itself out there. And we've got another church that we're in a meaningful partnership with in, in Sarasota where he's the, the pastor there has developed a, an internship program called the Emmaus Institute and so he's bringing through people cultivating people that are you know maybe taking summers off from college getting them prepared for seminary or getting them out of seminary um, or they, in, the, in the summer months of seminary getting them prepared pushing them in towards pastoral roles and so he has sort of his own educational institution and so it was a conversation of well, these are the courses Knox can provide, and these are the courses that we can give for credit, and these are the courses that you'd have to do on your own. And then we work together to see what that looks like. And so, um, but the accessibility is one of the things that I would highlight. Right now, we, you know, I mean, I, I long for the day when we have so many church partners that we just don't have enough hours in the day to have conversations with everyone. But right now, one of the great things about it is uh, we're, we're happy to come visit. I mean, he invites us up in February. And we come. I mean, this is, you know, if you think we're serious, that should be a sign. Um, Super Bowl Sunday, Tim was at our church. Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, in in um, Finley, Ohio, which is not, you know, warm. Uh, Florida is. And so, but but we, there's a meaningful relationship there, and, and there, there's a meaningful investment. And there is, there's a, I mean, Aaron can call me anytime. Josh can call me anytime. I can call them anytime. It's... What I would view is within the seminary church world, it's the people of God, the body of Christ, working together in ways that make sense. You know, you have the hands and you have the feet and you have the head, but you need all of that to be working together in order to, in many ways, be living out what the rest of that Ephesians 4.11 passage talks about, which is maturing in our faith and understanding so that we're able to not get tossed around by every wind of doctrine, but to understand what it is that we believe and grow into full maturity in Christ. And so that's the goal for the church that is bleeding. That's the goal for our church leaders who are leading. And that's the goal for Knox as we continue to serve. So I invite you to learn more. We've got a booth down the way there. It's not far. Um, just past the coffee shop area down the hallway. Um, the website there is uh, is is Knox Theological or knoxseminary.edu. I was going to say too, if anybody wants to start a conversation on this, that bar, that QR code that's on your bookmark, uh, that website, it's also on the screen right now too. Um, just fill it. It's a quick little form. Just gives us your basic information. It ends up um, right in front of us. Uh, Derek is usually the first line, and we will make sure that we get back to you right away and we'll start that conversation. And it's seriously no sales, no pressure. I mean, we, we're here to serve you, and we'll make sure that we start that conversation. We'll bring you to a landing page. It'll ask you where you heard that from. Just put in there EBC GA for me. That way I'll know, that, okay, cool, let me, let me go ahead and get a little bit more particular. 
reaching out to the director decided that we do not just kind of one of the random questions that are coming in for the seminary. It'll keep me up in that so I can reach out to you. Did you have a question? So, yes, in the sense of we offer a regular online suite of classes that are all pre-recorded. So you can watch them, students can watch them at any point in a given week. They're broken into like 20 or 30 minute chunks. So, you know, you got a lunch break or you wake up early, you stay up a little bit late. You know, I we, we had a guy who was a student, he was a, trans, a transcontinental pilot, and I, I said, well, help me understand how this is, like, explain your ministry. I love this question to our students because not all of them are training to be pastors. You know, I have pest control company owners. I've got former NFL long snappers. I've got judges and lawyers and doctors and plumbers. And I'm like, tell me how this is, tell me about ministry in your context. And so I'm talking to the pilot, and he said, it's so great. He's like, you know, I'm on autopilot for like five hours of this flight from Boston to L.A., and I'm locked in a room with someone else. And because I'm the senior pilot, they have to just go along with whatever I do. He's like, so I download all my Knox lectures and I turn up the volume and I blast that guy with the gospel until at some point he says, I can't take it anymore. What is this? And then he shares the gospel with his co-pilot. I won't tell you what airline he flies for. Um, but I was like, that's great. So yeah, a lot of it's pre-recorded. although the live courses that we do are also fitting in the same schedule as the online terms. So you could take it live as well if, um, if someone were interested in that. So again, thank you for being here. I don't want to keep anyone any longer. I'll, I'll be around a little bit if you have questions and otherwise uh, do feel like you can reach out. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Can you guys appear stand up right now? Yes, stand up just so that we in case you guys want to ask an actual student as to uh, what their experience is like, feel free to grab them too. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate you being here.